You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of Cornerstone Community Church in Wildemar, California, where we exist to reach people, make disciples, and build relationships. If you'd like to connect with us even further, check out our website at go2cornerstone.com. Well, hey, good morning, Cornerstone. And happy 4th of July weekend. In case you don't know me, my name is Aaron. I'm the worship pastor here. And we are today in week seven of our series, journeying through the book of 1 Samuel. This series is called Rise and Fall. And to help illustrate my point, I want to tell you the story of two characters whose lives were defined by just this, a rise and fall. Once upon a time, two figures stood at the ends of a great struggle. One, a virtuous hero, born from humble origins, driven by justice. The other, a once respected warrior, consumed by darkness. Fate intertwined their destinies, fueling their battle. Gripped by jealousy and fear, the fallen warrior saw the rebel hero as a threat to his power. Yet the hero, guided by wisdom and compassion, resisted with integrity. Relentlessly pursued, the hero displayed bravery and unwavering loyalty. In a surprising twist, the hero had chances for revenge, but instead chose mercy. By sparing the fallen warrior, he revealed compassion's power and redemption's potential. Paths diverged, and the fallen warrior faced a tragic fate consumed by turmoil. The hero's enduring legacy will go on to inspire future generations, exemplifying nobility and unwavering righteousness. If you think you know the story that I'm talking about, go ahead and shout it out. Star Wars? I know. Okay, so, so while I know this sounds a lot like the plot line of my favorite movie series of all time, Star Wars, uh, this is actually not the story of Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. It is, in fact, the story of King Saul and David. Throughout history, there have been all kinds of cruel and twisted leaders, presidents, generals, prime ministers, kings, and queens who would stop at nothing to protect their power, to get power, even if it meant destroying their own family members. And we can find stories like this in the Bible. As a matter of fact, King Saul had become this type of ruler. In 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 8, it says, There was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with his spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. So here we see that David has just won a great battle. And Saul is is overwhelmed with anxiety in this moment. And David tries to calm down his king by playing the lyre for him, basically a harp type of stringed instrument. And suddenly the king snaps and throws his spear at David trying to kill him. What is happening here? Just within a 12-hour span, David has run for his life twice, escaped the clutches of Saul, his king, who also just so happens to be his father-in-law. And from this point forward, life is crazy chaotic for David. 
He'll spend the majority of his 20s on the run. We'll see that David is quite the traveler. Who here other than me enjoys traveling? Anybody? Okay, when I was younger, uh, I had the opportunity to travel all over the place, uh, all over the continental U.S., as well as missions trips to the Philippines, um, the Netherlands, uh, Mexico, uh, Portugal. But the point is this. I feel like I never really went somewhere unless I had the passport stamp to prove it, right? There's something so cool about collecting those passport stamps. I can assure you in this story, David is not collecting passport stamps. He is on the run for his life. He, in fact, is probably avoiding immigration offices at all costs because he is a wanted man. And this would continue for 10 years. So today we're going to be discussing three primary things that we see in the life of David during this time. And the first is preparation. Here in 1 Samuel, God is preparing David, preparing him to go from a shepherd as a boy to a great warrior in his teens to a fugitive on the run in his 20s to eventually the king at the age of 30. Why? To show David and in turn show us God's character to show us the things that he can do in the life of someone who is completely and utterly submitted to him. The second thing that we're going to talk about today is provision. Provision. Like Pastor Andy talked about a couple of weeks ago in the story of David and Goliath, God is providing for David in an amazing way. David defeating Goliath was God providing for his people. But today we're going to find David in a place where he needs God's provision once again, but not in the big David and Goliath type of way. He's going to need God's provision in the day in and the day out, minute by minute, in every single thing that he does, he's going to need God's protection and provision. And the question that we're going to ask today is, will God continue providing for David? God, con God provided for David when he was on the battlefield. He provided for David when he was in the palace with the king. But will he provide for David when he is on the run, when he is in exile? Will God provide for David in the middle of turmoil, in the middle of anxiety for his future? Will God provide for us in the same type of circumstances? And that's what we're going to find out today. The third thing we're going to talk about is providence. Providence simply means divine guidance or care. Will David trust that God's plan will come to pass or will he try to take matters into his own hands and make those things happen in his timing instead of God's? Today, we're going to pick up the story in chapter 18, and we're going to look at more of David's life. If you'd like to, you could follow along in the notes section of our Church Center app. We'll have the verses on the screen if you don't have your Bible as well. But the overarching theme of the second half of 1 Samuel is this. David is running for his life. And we're going to finish 1 Samuel by looking at some snapshots, if you will, from different chapters uh, that are taking place here. And I say snapshots because we have seven chapters to cover, literally 
10 years worth of time to cover in just under 30 minutes. So here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands? What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. So we see that Saul is a proud and jealous man. He was the king. And when people were celebrating David, when they were giving him praise, when David was gaining success and popularity, the king became angry, suspicious even that David would take the throne from him, that David would become the king. 1 Samuel 18, verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and departed from Saul. This is a critical statement here that we're going to come back to. So just make a mental note of this, okay? The Spirit of God had departed from Saul, but the Lord was with David. And David had success in all his undertakings. Verse 14, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. So notice, twice we are told the Lord is with David. The more that David went out to war, the more success he would have. And it wasn't because David had some sort of brilliance or some sort of strength. It was simply because the Lord was with David. And I think it's helpful to look back at 1 Samuel chapter 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In the last three chapters, we have seen the Lord bring low some tall individuals. King Saul, David's brother Eliab, and the giant Goliath. God is showing us that like Hannah prayed at the very beginning of 1 Samuel, the Lord brings low and the Lord exalts. And this right here is why I love the Bible. Pastor Andy, if you are taking notes today while you're on vacation, uh, I hope you write this down. The Lord prefers short guys. Okay, so moving on. God is reminding his people here that whether we are talking about their favorite king, Saul, or their fiercest foe, Goliath, Remember who is in charge. And we see this sort of tension play out in the entire Bible where the, the people that it makes the most sense would be victorious or successful are not. And instead, it's the last and the least that are exalted instead. And David's success in life and in battle was because the Lord was with him. Can you say that with me this morning? The Lord was with him. So God was preparing David. We see that God is giving David success in every single endeavor. Saul becomes more and more jealous and angry to the point where he is even murderous. And get this, this is, this is crazy. Saul actually lets David marry his daughter, Michal, okay? And, and it's not because he 
wants to hang out with David at family barbecues, it's because he thinks that by doing this, David's gonna go out to battle more and that eventually he's going to die and not come back. And you thought that your father-in-law was difficult. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse one, and Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. So talk about a stark contrast here. We have Saul, who's trying to kill David, and then we have Jonathan, who is literally BFFs with David. They are in a covenant type of friendship, literally like blood brothers. Chapter 20 goes on to talk about Jonathan and David coming up with a plan to find out if Saul was really going to kill David or not. And that if that were the case, Jonathan would have a signal that David would see and that he could flee. But the crazy thing is this, if anyone makes sense to want David dead, it's Jonathan. Jonathan is heir apparent to his father's throne. He is next in line for the kingship. But obviously, what we find here is that Jonathan seeks first the kingdom of God, not his own kingdom. So Jonathan defends David to his father. And at this point, Saul is literally raging out of his mind with anger at this point. In in chapter 20, verse 30, it says, then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. So Saul, in this moment, is trying to get Jonathan to focus on himself. And we see that Jonathan doesn't fall for it. He doesn't take the bait. Instead, he challenges his father and really challenges you and I as well. We should be asking ourselves, am I seeking to establish my kingdom or God's kingdom? What does my anger look like? Does it look more like Jonathan's or does it look more like Saul's? Am I most angry when God's will is being opposed or am I more angry when my rights have been violated and my will has been crossed? If we're honest with ourselves, I would probably say the majority of us, our anger is most like King Saul's. So David flees from Saul, he flees and he has no food, he has no weapons, and he goes to seek help from a priest named Ahimelech. And and soon after this, a brutal scene unfolds where King Saul has this priest killed for helping David. And after leaving Ahimelech, David goes, the story gets crazier, David goes to seek refuge in the city of Gath. And if you don't remember, Gath is the city where Israel's like arch enemy, the Philistines, that is where they are from. This would be like a San Diego Padres fan trying to seek refuge at Dodger Stadium. It just 
doesn't make sense. Go Dodgers. And David legit rolls into the city carrying the sword of the great warrior Goliath that he had decapitated just a few chapters earlier. He must have thought that he was safer with Goliath's buddies than he was with his own king. Or maybe he thought, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. In chapter 21, verse 10, and David rose and fled that day, and Saul went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let spittle run down his beard. All right, so obviously David was not welcomed in Gath like he thought that he might be. And in a crazy turn of events, he feigns insanity, not the behavior of this great warrior that we would expect, but either way, it worked out for him and he was sent away. And during this time, David writes two of my favorite Psalms that we find in the Bible, Psalm 34 and Psalm 56. That's your homework for this week because we don't have time to read those two chapters, but here in these passages, we see what happens in David's life when he is on the run. So many of the worship songs that we sing here at Cornerstone actually come from these chapters in the Psalms. How much more meaningful are they to us when we know the situations that David was facing on the run? I'm struck by David's faith in this situation. He chooses to praise the Lord continually and he he doesn't hide the fact that he is afraid. He boasts not in himself, but he boasts in the Lord. He seeks the Lord in his fear and he believes that God is like an army encamped around him, providing for and protecting him. It shows the Lord was with David, working in him and through him. God was providing for David. So we get back to the story in 1 Samuel. In chapter 24, verse 1, it says, When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. So Saul goes into this cave for a quick potty break, but what he does not realize is that David and his recently assembled band of misfits are just chilling in the back of this cave. Pretty awkward all of a sudden, all right? So the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you. Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And after, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing against the Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up, left the cave, and went on his way. What is happening 
David has this opportunity right in front of him to be rid of the guy who has been tormenting his life. In one split second, he could kill the king, stop living his life on the run, stop sleeping with one eye open. And, I, and he, he was probably tempted in this moment by his men to actually kill the king. And no one would have blamed him if he did it. David has to be struggling to know whether this moment, this opportunity to what looks like would easily fix all of his problems is temptation or providence. Scottish theologian and pastor Thomas Chalmers said, the end that God ordains must be achieved by the means that God approves. The end that God ordains must be achieved by the means that God approves. David knew that it wasn't his job to make God's plan happen. He wasn't to touch the one that God had anointed as king. While the temptation to speed up the process or take a shortcut, if you will, might have made sense, it wasn't time. It wasn't God's providence. David trusted God's providence. A few weeks ago, our pastoral team uh, went up to the mountains for a retreat, and some of us decided to go on an early morning hike, and this picture here of uh, Levi, our high school pastor, and Andy, our lead pastor, and myself, this is when we decided that we wanted to head back down the mountain, uh, that we were a little bit tired and wanted to make our way back. However, Pastor Andy did not want to take the trail back down. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to go through the, the bushes and like walk down this way because I don't want to take all the time to get back to the camp. And so Levi and myself are, are like, Andy, dude, that is a horrible idea. That is dangerous. You're going to fall and injure yourself. Uh, you do not need to take this risk in this moment, okay? Andy being the risk taker, me not being that guy. So we are encouraging him to not do this. Thankfully, he realized that it was way too dangerous and we ended up taking the actual hiking path back down the mountain. And once again, the short guys prevail. <laughs> but basically, that whole idea, the whole idea of I want to reach my destination the way that I want to, the fastest way possible. Taking a shortcut is nothing new. Abraham and Sarah God had promised them a child and they decided to use their servant to make that happen instead of the way that God had planned it. And we know what a mess that made. So what does David's story as an innocent fugitive teach us? What are the lessons that we can learn from this time in David's life? The first thing is embrace God's preparation. Embrace God's preparation. God was preparing David. Like I mentioned earlier, God was using the trials that David walked through to take him from a shepherd to a warrior to a fugitive to the greatest king that Israel would ever have. And in similar ways, God is preparing us. He walks through us through all kinds of trials with the desire to shape us and make us into people like how it says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. God is preparing you and me for greater things, 
greater love for one another, greater endurance in the midst of our trials, that we would ultimately glorify God by being formed into the image of Jesus Christ. Second, we need to recognize God's provision. Recognize God's provision. God provided for David, and, and like I mentioned in Psalm 34 and Psalm 56, we see God providing for him when he is with the Philistines. David saw God as his deliverer, his refuge. He, real, he realized that God was not only involved, but he was attentive. God cared for and loved David. And David knew that eventually God would bring justice to his situation. Through all of David's pain in his life, we have received six of the 73 Psalms that he wrote. And these Psalms are in the Bible for our growth. They're in the Bible for our encouragement, for our comfort. God is providing for us today. Though our trials and circumstances may feel completely different than David's, we can look at David's story and we can see God at work in the lives of those who trust him and love him. And the third thing that we can learn from David's story is to trust God's providence. God doesn't walk away from his creation. He upholds it. He sustains it. God's providence is not always clear. And sometimes you and I might think that we know what's best for ourselves, but we have to trust, as the prophet Isaiah said, his ways are higher than our ways. That maybe, just maybe, he knows something that we don't. David didn't kill Saul himself because he trusted that God would carry out the plan for his life, that he would carry out justice rightly. And Jonathan trusted God's plan and defended David instead of his own, his own rights to the throne. As pastor and theologian John Piper mentions in his book, Providence, God's providence is not a threat to our joy, but the basis of it. What made the difference in David's life was this one thing. The Lord was with him. And the same is true for those of us who know Jesus. The Lord is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Like the song that we sang during our worship this morning, I will never walk alone. I've never been abandoned. He is my strength. He is my shield. The Lord has promised us his eternal presence through the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this. I don't, I don't know what difficulty or situation that you're facing today. But I do know that God is still the same as he was for David He's the hero in our story. Just as he was for David, God is our strength in our time of weakness. Just like he was for David, God is the judge of all the injustices that are thrown upon you. Just like he was for David, God is your provision and your sustainer in the midst of the chaos. And just like he was for David, God is the preparer of our lives for his purposes. 
If you know Jesus today, I want to remind you, God is with you. And just like David did, you can open your heart to him with a faith that embraces his preparation, recognizes his provision, and trusts in his providence. Would you stand with me today? And as you're standing, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your faithfulness and provision that we've seen today in the life of David. You are the one who prepares, provides, and teaches us to trust in your providence. And we thank you for reminding us of your presence in our lives. God, teach us to lean on you in every circumstance, giving us the faith to trust that you will supply our every need according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We surrender our lives, our worries, and our anxieties to you, knowing that you hold our future in your hands. Give us courage to step out in faith, fully trusting that your plans for us are good and they are perfect. And it's in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Hey, church, just a reminder, if you would like to be baptized, water baptisms are taking place next Sunday. Just text the word baptism to 425-4425. If you need prayer for anything today, our prayer teams are here at the front. They would love to pray for whatever needs you may have. Have an amazing 4th of July, church. We love you, and we'll see you next Sunday. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. If you're a first-time listener, text the word NEW to 951-425-4425. If you'd like to give to our ministry, check out go to cornerstone.com slash give. Thank you for listening, and have a great week.